0: Hi all and welcome to Conversations Over Coffee with Dee and Tony. We certainly hope that you enjoy this session as we talk about all things that are relevant to us and possibly not relevant to anyone else. But I do hope you enjoy what we have to say. Thanks. Catch you later. Enjoy. Bye. And hello to you, Deirdre.
1: And good morning, Tiny, or good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. <laughs> Does it really matter what Does time it, of the yeah, day is? Sure it no, is? Not not at all. No, not No. Not So it's been an exciting, exciting week, hasn't it? It's been an absolutely fabulous week. Um, you're looking at me as if I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I
1: didn't realise it was an exciting week.
0: No, neither did I till just then. I was
1: just <laughs> reflecting. So you've just had a really good week? I've had a week. Is that what you're saying? I've had after. a very pleasant week. I wouldn't say it was an exciting week, but I've had a very pleasant week.
0: No, what's so pleasant about your week?
1: Oh, well, I read a fantastic book. I read a book that I didn't feel like I needed to stop reading in order to look at Twitter, which is fairly amazing.
0: Hold on, come back. Exactly. So, that, so you forego Twitter in order to read a book?
1: Well, and uh, four went to Twitter in order to read. Well, no, it wasn't quite like that. Often, I read a lot, as you know,
0: mm. but
1: often I feel impelled to have a check at Twitter as I'm reading. Like well, to
0: make sure Twitter's still there? Or? No, just to oh, catch up.
1: Okay. Just because yeah. I have an addiction, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah. with this book, was so good, I didn't feel that need. It was called The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. came out in 2020. She didn't do a launch because of the whole COVID thing. But I've certainly heard on the airwaves that she had received a number of awards for the book. And eventually I read it and I thought, yeah, absolutely. She should have received all of those awards and possibly more. It's a story of a little girl living in the... I think she was born in about 1882, something around there, living with a single dad because mum's died. And dad works on the Oxford Dictionary. He's an assistant of Murray who runs that program, Dr. Murray, Professor Murray, somebody Murray. Yeah. And they, is, they live in Oxford and um, the what they call the scriptorium, or the place where they work on this Oxford is this Dictionary. Actually,
0: is this actually a place in... Is it, I, think it I think it was.
1: It's it's a historical fiction, um, but do you remember the movie that we watched with Mel Gibson about the making of the Oxford Dictionary? And, and that was based on a book, and this picks up some of those elements of fact, but weaves in some other, some fiction. So the character, is May Nicole is fictional, and I guess her dad is fictional too. Um, he works in the scriptorium, what they call, which is just a garden shed down the back of Murray's house. Mm. And she's often there because he's a single dad, and she sits underneath the table and examines the shoes of the other workers there. <laughs> and, and and how um, old is she? At, at the opening of the story, she's only about five, and then she ends up working there as well, but just. A brief snapshot is what she does is she begins to collect some of the words come in on slips And they come in from all over the world, and then they're checked and validated, and they have quotations for them, etc. before they go into the...
0: Slips, as in small pieces of paper, paper? as opposed to someone's undergarment.
1: Yeah, no undergarments. As far as I know, difficult to write on. (laughs) (laughs) And very bulky to post. (laughs) So slips of paper, small, especially size, special size that they had, which was perfect size apparently and then sometimes they floated down onto the floor and there was one that she felt offended by because it was bond made, which the meaning of that or one of the definitions is, is a female slave really or somebody who's bound out to service for a long period of time and they wouldn't get very much money for that
0: work and I always thought when you mentioned that to me earlier this week I thought bond made was an indication that They that some money was owed on them or by them, hence the word bond. You know, like you have a bond. You have to pay a bond for a rental. Yes. You know what I mean? I just wondered whether it was. Well, they'd be put out to.
1: that, That is interesting, and I don't know the terminology, and I don't know that history. I do know that if you went into indentured servitude. Then you were there for a particular period of time. We had to work for seven years or something mm. like that. Mm. In the case of Lizzie Lester, who's a maid in Murray's house who often cares for Esme, the five-year-old, she's only eight years older. She went into service as an eleven year old child. And the book starts out with a discussion about Lizzie being lucky to have been able to do that, that she in essence, had a house and board and everything, a place to live. But she was working, she, and she was working from early in the morning before anybody else got up and until late at night. So so one definition of her situation was this, this bondmaid. So little Esme decides that she doesn't like that word, and she takes it upstairs and hides it. And she does that with a number of other words that she feels a bit offended by. And then later on, as she grows up, she starts to talk to Lizzie and other women, particularly working class women, and discovers that they use a whole host of words, which for various reasons don't get into the dictionary, primarily because the dictionary is decided by the scholarly class, which is going to be men. Mm. Um, And so she creates her own little dictionary. The dictionary of lost words, so that words and, and she's often notices that words, particularly I guess, of um, that words associated with women are often used as insults, so, so they're left, left
0: out of the dictionary. So, what, what did you enjoy most about the book?
1: I loved it, I loved it because it's really well, well written, it's very imaginative, it's very feminist, and it's all about words as well. So, it was an immersion mm. in this lovely scholarly life um gentle and Esme's life is obviously very different to Lizzie's life because she's working as so one of the first words that Esme collects is one from Lizzie and it's knackered so that was a word that was not in the dictionary because Esme does her due diligence and and checks and she asks what that means and Lizzie says well it's more than being tired it is because I am on my feet working from the time I get up, which is earlier than anybody else in the household. So I make the you know, the house nice and warm and comfortable for them, and then I go to sleep and put out all the candles after everybody else is, you know, snoring away. So it is a perennial sense of I guess a bone a I thought bone nac- level aching. I thought NACU was an Australian terminology. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, apparently not. Hey, talking... No, it could
0: be. It was put, it was, wasn't this r- w- book written by an Australian? Well, I reckon she would have done her,
1: de- her due diligence as well. well it's maybe she just chose very... the word knackered and popped it in the
0: book because... I'll have to
1: go check. Yeah. Hey, but did you ever hear the term cocky's joy?
0: Cocky's joy. Hmm. Um, so is that something to do with farmers or...
1: It's golden syrup.
0: Oh, I was thinking cockies as in farmers.
1: No, it's golden syrup. And that's an Australian... Why
0: cockies? Why cockies? I don't know. I don't
1: know. That popped up in a book that's set in Australia and written by Thomas Keneally, another Australian. And I thought, I've never heard that term before. When I looked it up, it said, you know, Australian slang meaning golden syrup.
0: Well, no, never heard of it. No, many, maybe I, it's I used a New to... South
1: Wales thing because the story was set
0: in New South oh, right, Wales. right, right. No, I normally use the term golden syrup.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly, maybe, yeah. Anyways. Anyway, delightful book. I do recommend it to anybody who enjoys reading. All right, so that's the book review for the week. That's the book review for the week. But mm-hmm. I wanted to tell you about a story that came across my desk or phone this morning. Do you remember that we watched a show called The Department several weeks ago? It was on SBS, and I think we watched it on SBS On Demand. And it was about the New South Wales Department of, I don't know what they're called now, Family and Whatever
0: Services. Oh, yeah, the the one on uh, child protection, yeah. Yes, yes, yep.
1: where they interviewed a number of the women mm. who lost their children or were in the pro- process. Yeah. Of losing their children to the state. Yes, I remember it very well. Yes. Well, one of the stories they didn't tell us, so I'm interested in what they didn't tell us in that because that seemed to me like they were advertising the department. And so I'm curious about what they didn't say.
0: There's a lot they didn't say.
1: Yeah, so one story they didn't tell us is that. The over-representation of First Nations children in New South Wales care is like at about 41%. Oh, wow. Which is horrendous, even though they spend a lot of time talking about needing to do things better. Mm. Um, So I thought they were being quite respectful of First Nations people in that show. And then you get that figure and you think, well, no, you're not really.
0: Well, the statistics don't bear it that they're doing any better than what... They
1: no, really, no. Well, a story that came through today is that a 12-year-old Aboriginal boy has been living in an apartment by himself for more than 300 days, so for almost a year. Oh, how, he's how 12 does, years of age. How does he pay rent? Don't know any other. No, he's in something that they call... I don't know anything about his circum. the rest of his circumstances. The story doesn't tell us that. Mm. Just tells us about this alternative care. When there's no foster home or kinship care arrangement, then... You, well, you would know they put kids in hotels or yeah, something. That's right. I had no idea that they would stick a kid in an apartment by themselves on his own. On his own.
0: Well, we they didn't tell be... us
1: that story, and they could have because that was three hundred days, probably covered the time of the um, making of that film. Well, they weren't in- they weren't
0: interested in telling us stories that uh, highlighted the systemic problems that sit within the department
1: oh no and that's why i thought it was an advert for the part the department yeah. rather than an honest representation yeah of the department
0: yeah and the the <coughs> yeah that the, i think they attempted to represent a cross-section i mean you've got to give them some credit i mean they you know in an hour and a half two hour documentary you can only do so much i guess true
1: yes you're limited
0: um yep. But there needs to be a counter-documentary.
1: Well, <laughs> that's right. well, I think that's often been told in inquiries and in various other places. No, that's true. Really. It's not like we don't know. And, we, and it's not like people don't know that that department has probably the worst reputa- reputation in the country. And there's a fair amount of competition for being a really bad child protection agency.
0: And that um, we need to tell the voices of the the parents and the children, the stakeholders, the users of the system. They're the voices that need to be heard, not the voices of just the department, basically. And and a wide so it was very controlled, and a wide section of those voices as well. You know,
1: and I know there were some people on that show that we really liked, and there was, uh, you know, that lead social worker who was trying to make changes within yeah. the system, and she was yeah. absolutely fabulous, but she failed to mention those devastating figures.
0: Well, the point is she failed because the system clearly is not working according to how she would even imagine it to work. No. So if someone at the top level, and that's the question, if, someone, if there are a group of people at the top of each department in Australia who knew that the system wasn't working the way that it should does it mean that they don't know how it could be working better or does it mean that the masses on the whole are not prepared to change
1: it's a good question, do you have an answer to that?
0: yeah I think I think generally people I remember turning up to uh, a meeting some years ago and they were putting in a. Um, it was the David Waterford time and they were putting in a new proposal as you may remember about you know Strengths Perspective and a whole mm-hmm. lot of other stuff from Christensen and uh, in the United States because we need to import all our ideas because we don't have any original ones ourselves and um, I was talking to a, one social worker there and he said oh, I was telling him I was asking him whether they were using this new way of working and he said uh, nah nah we don't need to reinvent the wheel so we don't need to think about they weren't interested they weren't interested at, at in the changing anything we're not um, interested in changing to a different way of working Muddled audience. Well, that different way of working was really a uh, a standard for social workers. So it was the standard they should be employing anyway. It was just implemented into, you know, graphs and charts, basically.
1: Well, I guess we don't know on the department whether they were actually the workers were social workers. They didn't tell us that, did they? Were they all qualified social no, workers? They were case workers. I think no, they were. Denver, case workers. Yeah. So we don't know what their qualifications were was another point of interest because I was going to call them social workers and then I realized that I didn't actually know whether they were or not and I remember you arguing back with David Waterford back in those times that they would call people social workers whether they had social work qualifications or not mm, no so and they've changed they have changed that here to what well, I don't know I don't think they call them social workers if they're not qualified
0: uh, no they call them case managers or case workers or Child protection workers, they think of other creative names to call them, which is fair enough, you can do whatever you like, it's their department. Mm. But there again, you don't call a psychologist either, a case worker, you call them who they are, a psychologist. Mm. You don't call a medical practitioner, a, uh, uh, an allied health professional, you call him a Yes, yeah, so accurate about that. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes.
1: But what you're suggesting that even with willingness at the top levels to make changes... You can end up with a backlash, I guess, mm. at, at the at the worker level, yeah. and they can kind of do what they like anyway, I guess, to a very large extent.
0: Well, I, if if you try to implement appropriate ways of working, and people are resistant to working, so for example, if you want to see all poor people as bad parents, now changing that changing that in someone's mind if that's the way they've been raised, if that's the way... You think
1: you're Prue Goward?
0: Yeah, well we'll get to her in a moment. I knew you no, had we've to talked the... about her. Oh, did we? I'm not going to say anymore. Oh, last, week, last one we did. Yeah, if, you've, if you're if indoctrinated into it, if you see all um, Indigenous people as hopeless, helpless, drug addicts, alcoholics, violent people, it's, it's really hard, I think, to change that mindset of people, and unfortunately I think that there are so there's a it's on a spectrum how people see other people so you'd have people at one end who don't judge who just see people who they are and want to work through those problems and resolve them and you know have a a reasonable relationship with the. and we did
1: see workers like that on that show Mm. the work i I I didn't have an issue really with the workers
0: but then yeah then you have so on that Continuum you like you have at the other end you have a whole host of people who are really rigid in their views and the problem that we have is that a lot of those people don't realise that they are so rigid they don't realise that those they don't do they're incapable of reflecting so they don't they don't know what they say or how they say it or the way they visualise or see somebody they don't see that as having an impact on the work they do at all
1: right so they don't see that they're coming from a prejudiced no perspective no, no, no okay.
0: In fact it'd be horrified for some of those people to even realize that they are prejudicial in their thinking because professionally they're not supposed to be. Mm. Um, so how do you find so the problem and answer to your question is how do you find all that stuff out and um, how do you identify those people and how do you change the way they think and therefore want to practice It's hard. It's almost impossible. And that's the dilemma we're in because if we're able to change those things, so the other question is, how do you employ people then? So go about let's find let's find those people that sit at the better end of that spectrum, and let's work with them to develop better practices. Well, I think the problem with that is that you have trouble trying to identify them. How do you psychologically work out who they are? <clears throat> and you could do that through interview processes and other stuff, and. If you were, are there enough of them mm. to do the job? Mm. Probably not. Probably not. So there's the conundrum.
1: Mm. And if we have, if if I think back to Prue Goward, who was the minister for that department you at had one to point, go there, for two, didn't you? I did have to go yeah. there. So in a, in a sense, she's she was um, her view was very much endorsing that prejudicial view of people from. Um, economically poor circumstances. Mm. Uh, very much so. Uh, she was countered, she's only on my mind today because John Hewson wrote a piece countering her or saying that he was one of the pro prols, he grew up as a pro. And he makes a salient point uh, that where she writes off and says, you know, there's mental health problems, there's domestic violence, there's drug abuse, blah, 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 blah. He says it's not to say that you won't find those problems, but you'll also find them in other sectors of society as well. And so why would we want to overlook that? It's not as if somebody from a economically poor person is the only one without mental health, with mental health
0: problems. Oh, that's right. It's like the only person <coughs> domestic violence doesn't sit exactly. only among low socioeconomic groups. It sits everywhere. Um, but we don't investigate it at the other end of the spectrum because those people lawyer up and so that's a society we don't wish to focus or spread our focus or our gaze into other areas apart from those which seem to have the problems which
1: which reminds me of the national strategy for preventing and responding to child sexual abuse you, you read that this week did you did you have a look at that strategy I didn't cause that, that if one. I could just say if you had a prejudice view, you'd say well that's just a problem in some areas of society. But we know from the Royal Commission that that's a widespread problem and it occurs at home. It's not just online. Um, it's, It's a very widespread social problem. And I guess one of my thoughts was, what on earth have the various child protection agencies been doing all these years if they haven't been looking to prevent child sexual abuse? And I figured they'd been too busy taking away kids from poor families to focus up on other aspects of child sexual abuse.
0: Or they've done what... Or what or, I mean, look, what do you think's happened within the... You know, in terms of child sexual abuse within the Roman Catholic Church? Why, it's been going Yeah, well, on there for wasn't decades. any
1: mandated reporting. Or, you know, where were the child protection workers?
0: But there were still people who had experienced it. Why, totally. Why weren't
1: they talking about it? Oh, well, they sometimes tried and were silenced. So, who silenced? They weren't necessarily even believed by their parents. They might be, if it was a priest, they could be silenced by their parents. Mm. There is a situation of the Ballarat orphanage in around the 1960s. That story's come out recently where people went to the police about that story and the police covered it up so they conspired with the orphanage people running the orphanage to conspire to cover it up so there were cover-ups right through and you also got to think about the power of the priesthood if you're a Roman Catholic then the priest held considerable power because they were seen as next to Christ or some such nonsense Um, and so they were invested with a great deal of respect so that's why people wouldn't believe um, anything of, you know that they wouldn't do anything wrong
0: so but when we look at the non-disclosure of sexual abuse against children and other forms of abuse against kids um, kids weren't believed well yeah there were some systemic problems that yep. were pretty entrenched in society that yep. prevented that stuff from coming out when we're talking about the way the system is today, it's the same problem. It's the same problem. It might have a different face to it, but it's basically the same problem.
1: I did see some figures recently that said that one in three children aren't believed at the moment if they were to report mm. some problem. Whereas I would have said when I was growing up that would have been zero in three children would mm. have been believed or you a know, very minuscule number of
0: children. Yeah, yeah. So the problem's... It's really interesting how we're talking about this now because I think the problem has kind of remained the same but just takes on a different phase. Like, we're hearing at the moment that um, the increase in kids over the last five years into care is up 33%. Right? So, why isn't it that we haven't been able to stem the tide? You know, and uh,
1: Oh, I think, haven't they changed the rules?
0: What, what well,
1: I don't think it's now s- children being removed so much for physical abuse. Isn't it mostly that children are removed for emotional abuse? When mm. I was a kid, there was no such thing. You just yelled at kids all the time.
0: Yeah, or you... Uh, cool. it,
1: there was not a word for that.
0: Or you spanked them with a wooden spoon or hit them across the knuckles or you did that sort of and shit. And that was kind it? of
1: the first step that we took was
0: to try and eradicate
1: the physical abuse that was recognised. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we replaced it with I emotional stuff. Yeah, I
1: think so. Things.
0: I think so. And you know, we and so who's making it almost as if
1: it's trendy.
0: And you can't, you can't. Well,
1: used to be neglect, and you always have to be careful because I'm aware that Aboriginal children were mo- removed on the grounds of neglect. Were in actual fact, it was for racist reasons.
0: Yes, yes, and yeah, but I mean prejudice. I mean prejudice with the, with Indigenous kids is clearly there. I think there's another range of prejudices with other kids or other parents, I guess, who live in uh, um, in a society where um, it's simply just frowned upon. You know, like if you if you're on a pension or on a benefit, if you, you know, you've been involved in domestic violence or got mental well well-being issues, you know, you're kind of stuffed. Yet there are lots of people out there living in all sorts of you know in some of the most Middle-class areas in town who suffer from the same problems, but there again, the spotlight's not on them. So who gives a shit? Mm. No one does. And as a result of or that, or they
1: have more resources to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. So they're and not and going to enter into public this, hospitals or.
0: As yeah, that's right. And as the um, that gap between you know the wealthy, the middle class, and the lower class gets bigger, you know that the range of people that that the gaze then becomes upon is much larger Mm. so we're removing larger numbers of those people you know it's like as the aboriginal population increases which it is then more and more aboriginal kids are going to be removed you know as the as the number of kids that live in poverty increases so the number of those kids will be removed so it's no wonder those numbers increase because we're not dealing with the social problems that cause Mm. the gays to be there in the first place. You look dumbfounded with my, my profound knowledge of the No, subject.
1: you made me think of two things. One was... Oh, can't you
0: be just profoundly... And...
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but it did make me think about that show we were watching Dope Sick and how the oh, pharmaceutical oh. company, instead of taking responsibility for providing a drug that was addictive blamed the people with the addictions. That and look was where they focused at, And they were focused in poor, economically poor... I rest my case. Yeah, so it's a really good example... It is. ...of what you're talking about. So they were all... Yes, that was... And that was their considered strategy was to put the gaze there and blame yeah. those people for that. Yes, instead of blaming themselves or taking responsibility for the very clear exploitation of those people
0: that's right that's right so um imagine what would happen if in child protection they took responsibility oh they're for... going to do that, no, that don't make funny. me laugh <laughs> it's not funny we should be crying right now yeah it's, it's very sad it's tragedy
1: it's an ongoing tragedy
0: yeah you know, like it's like saying well it's the roman catholic church or the ministries or other churches taking responsibility for the the damage they've done to kids as a result of abuse and other things well, depends on the church but the majority of them refused it to start with because they were they did prepared to... well, they were too worried so about what has how to much happen? money
1: they'd have to pay out in their reputation so
0: what has to happen does someone does someone have to sue them you know is there going to have to be a financial penalty for the abuse that permitted to happen before anything changes is it seems to
1: be, it seems to be Wow. Well. Well, in, in terms of the Catholic Church, I think that the Pope is edging towards um well from you know, from what I see and I don't study it in depth, is edging towards trying to improve things or um but there are issues obviously with the reputational damage. Does it have to get to the point where you don't trust anybody from a Catholic church anymore because of the reputation of the church before the church thinks, hey, we really need to do something now. Well,
0: what's the difference between... The antich- but do you know,
1: there are people who don't believe those people. What people? People who come forward and say they were sexual abuse. If we come back to this national strategy, Laura Tingle did and look at it um, today, I think, or the latter part of this week, because as she pointed out, it didn't get a lot of attention mm. in the media, interestingly enough, and she said most of the money is going towards awareness campaigns and, and to the police. And uh, only a small amount of that money is going towards services for victims and survivors. And I think Grace Tame is one of the ones quoted in there as saying the services are already stretched. Mm. So do you think that, the, that that response is appropriate, that the smallest amount of money is going towards helping those who have
0: been sexually abused as children. I don't um, know. What's Grace saying about that?
1: She's saying that the services are already stretched and that more money needs to go into services. No,
0: there's no doubt about that. Um, I mentioned in one of my videos recently that actually it's about whether people... It's not about the money. uh, It's about whether people have the will to fix the problem. I was talking about politicians, I think you know like do we have
1: and you've just mentioned that in regard to child protection as well that some people just don't want to yeah they don't want to they, they just don't, don't want they
0: to. care that much mm-hmm. about it um and you know like do we care about climate change oh well until you know we have forest raising next to our capital cities and you know we're living continually in 45 degree heat or extreme, got extreme weather conditions beating down upon us, ripping our roofs off and causing powers to go out. Until we get to that point, probably no one, not many people will give a rat's ass. So somehow we need to get to... I think to the conversation
1: to, shifted, though, now, so that if around you're... Around climate change. Yeah, I think it has shifted. Ironically, of course, you're talking about COP26, where there's a number of world leaders gone off for a meeting, and what would have been the carbon footprint of them getting there? Well, it's not that it's quite know, considerable
0: indian ironically India's is not turning up china's not turning up and russia not turning up so they're the three primary emitters in the world apart from the u.s. and uh, they're not showing up so who gives a rat's ass no one cares I don't, you know like I, I, don't, I disagree I think, with I think that. people I think we I think lots of people do care. I, I think lots of people do care. I think I don't that think conversation people care enough. has changed. I don't
1: think people care enough. No, perhaps not. Until, until it
0: you. happens to them. No, young no, like, number of people, well, young I get, people do. Well people talk about child protection, you know, and I think oh, I well, they don't talk about that. Well a lot of people don't talk about puff marks. A lot of people don't talk about that until it, it actually affect affects them. them.
1: No, and and for most people it's never going to affect them. Yeah. That's true. It's going to be different with climate change because that's going to affect most people. Yeah, but
0: we still have to wait for it to affect them. That's That's true.
1: And it is going to be the younger generation who will
0: be It's going to be our grandchildren that are going to have to deal with it. it. Yes. Not necessarily our kids. Our grandchildren are the ones that are going to have to deal with it. And do we not care about that? No, probably not because we won't be here. Mm. But we we don't care for the future. We don't plan for the future. We don't... Give a shit as to how this planet's going to be in 50 to 100 years' time.
1: I disagree. I think there are a lot of people who do. Well, yeah, I do, now care. and you do.
0: I think there are a lot but of people there are a who lot do of, care. Well, I don't think the majority is anywhere it's near the majority that would even consider that.
1: I think it is the majority now in Australia. I don't agree. I think we've agree. done enough surveys to show.
0: The National Party don't agree, darling.
1: No. Yeah, but they're what? They're very influential, but numerically very, very small. small. <laughs> <laughs> I think the majority of their population do care and it might be only a small minority, majority but i think it is now it's shifted to now a majority and
0: what evidence i'm not that optimistic
1: no i think i would have seen that result of surveys and stuff yeah well, what survey are we talking about no <laughs> no asking me to go and do my homework
0: well i'm asking you to do what you tell me to do whenever i come up with a statistic <laughs> <either>.
1: <laughs> i think i have seen that recently but have the, you now i want to know where? Where, notion, where 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 <laughs> where well, you've just been a nuisance now so. okay The other story that's come up today is that because of COP26, all these leaders meeting together, Mm. there's a meeting of Biden and Macron. And apparently Biden has said to Macron, I did not know anything about the way that Morrison handled the French
0: deal. Don't you think his name sounds like confectionery?
1: So apparently Biden has had a conversation with Macron and said if I had known, I did not know about the clumsy way this whole thing was dealt with with the submarines. Did we talk about submarines last week? Crazy right. idea. Yeah, boats at the sink. Yeah. Stupid idea. Stupid idea. That whole, yeah. the AUKUS. Stupid idea. And I was on the side. of weeks ago, We talked
0: about putting the F at the beginning of that and call it Orcus. <laughs> adding, adding, adding the France. French in. Yeah. They
1: don't have to go at the beginning. Orcus." Well, that could be off, offcus?
0: Well, I think I think focus is better.
1: <laughs> anyway, I yes, I certainly found myself on the side of the French because it was terrible to do this deal with the UK and the US anyway, and then cancel those other contract that we already had an existing contract that we had with the French, even if there were problems with it, they should have discussed those problems and mooted that it was going to be cancelled mm. rather than announce all of that and not have told the French. Yeah. So apparently Biden has said to Macron that was very clumsily handled. Oh, I saw that. And I? I didn't know. Yeah, because assumed, Morrison had... I had assumed being a decent person that the French would have been told before. So he was
0: dumping on Australia, actually. And fair enough, I think so do well, you think Morrison needs dumping on?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, think he t- I think he did that very badly.
0: He well, did. I think the whole thing was very bad. He did. I mean, you know, we're, fair enough. We don't know the ins and outs of that. We don't know what the Americans actually offered us apart from, you know, building nuclear submarines. Because um, they probably offered a whole stack of other shit, like, you know, um, carriers wandering in and out of the between Australia and Papua New Guinea or protecting us in the in the China Sea or whatever it is that they offered us was far more than just blinken building submarines because we could lease submarines you know that we could lease the submarines
1: so you're saying that Morrison hasn't been
0: fully forthcoming no because there's lots of stuff that would happen that would be in um that would be under the secrecy act mm. but they couldn't tell us
1: yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Like I think often, you're being far. How often
0: does Morrison speak to Jen without us knowing about that? I want to know that.
1: Well, Jen's not much in the news at the moment, so that's interesting too. But that's a different that's a different point. You have a lot more confidence in Morrison doing a good deal than
0: me, <laughs> really. I think Morrison is probably incapable of doing any deal. He's good. <laughs> that's good. I'm just suggesting that. Uh, there was much It's sure the that only we one. Know. I mean, to be fair, Morrison that isn't the one that probably makes most of the decisions he'd be a stack of bureaucrats anyway
1: of course like,
0: uh, Morrison Morrison hardly knows what one end of a gun looks from the other so I doubt whether he would understand much about defence um, and those decisions are made by warmongers who are more interested in you know, money well you know, and the, yeah the people that make all that stuff you know how much money was transferred to well I don't know that's probably a conspiracy theory, but one does wonder how much money gets transferred from ha- people like Halliburton and so forth to, mm. you know, other government suppliers and mm. influences the decisions that are made in terms of things like submarines mm. and tanks and all the other shit we buy. Yeah, we know, I'm a bit out of my depth. I would never clue that we never use. Yeah. You know, now that we're not fighting wars overseas, I don't think are we. I don't think we are at war now. Oh, anyway well, there you go. If the U.S. isn't at war, then we're not at war. Well, the U.S. is at war within their own country. They don't have to go anywhere they're else busy, anymore. They're busy at fighting yeah. off the right wing.
1: Yeah. So talking about Morrison, but this week the government apparently has been trying to get in something that people are calling voter suppression in that they're wanting us to have an idea when we go to a voting booth. Now, I've thought on many occasions that it's really odd... That I can rock up there, say my name, and nobody asks me for any idea, for any idea, and that's been seen as a good thing.
0: Yeah, but if you seen
1: as trusting, we have a system of trust. We do,
0: and if you roll up to a second booth and cross your name off for a second time, you'll be caught out. Eventually,
1: maybe you'll be not caught out. That, It'll be crossed yeah. off.
0: No. When they come to, when they come, they check all the names off. I know
1: eventually, but it's not going to be the same day, is it? No, I would have cast a second vote by
0: then. No, and they do ask you, have you voted elsewhere?
1: Yes, but it's still that no. honesty system. Yes, because we're very honest people. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come to that in a minute. But interest, so I am a little bit surprised at the backlash because to me, fronting up and showing, flashing my ID.
0: No, thank God, you qualified <laughs> that for a second. <laughs>
1: It's not very difficult. Because
0: the other one would never get you into a blinking polling booth. I'm telling you now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so yes, just pulling out any sort of ID. I have numerous bits of ID that I could show. So that would not be. I don't like
0: the way this conversation is going.
1: Well, that would not be difficult for me
0: to pull out any sort of ID that
1: you. No, any sort, anything that proves that I'm me. So I have plenty of ID on me. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. And regularly, it's not even, I'd have to get out my passport. If you have your Unless, however, apparently they're wanting to do that 100 points ID, which is a little bit more
0: difficult. It's okay, I've got a passport. Okay.
1: But there's...
0: (laughs) Very small small percentage. Actually, quite a high percentage of Australians do have passports. Oh, and
1: you know that figure from where?
0: I I saw that in the paper. It came out. (laughs) I think it came out in the Daily. Yeah. Uh two weeks ago so what day would that be so that would be about the, yeah uh, yeah i know you just just saying date look. and i think i saw it about seven o'clock and we'll refer to that later but i did
1: no i, I know lots of look, no i did
0: hear that the united states has an incredibly low percentage of people with passports believe it or not
1: oh i believe that quite easily people
0: in the united states don't need to travel elsewhere particularly when you live live within in the, the greatest, greatest nation on earth
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why go anywhere else? It's, no going, it's to. going to be worse. You have
0: Disneyland and, and you, Trump,
1: and you might just be disappointed. Have you all your illusions shattered? Anyway, but that's not my point. My point is something that I thought might have been quite a reasonable idea, even if it wasn't a hundred points. Even if I just showed my driver's license. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been quite a bit of backlash in the community because apparently I'm quite privileged just being able to do that, and there are other people who for whom that would be difficult, and therefore they would not be able to vote.
0: Well, it's, well, they don't have well, not to vote. You just don't have to register.
1: Oh, you don't even have to register. It's a bit of a scam that whole compulsory voting thing. Yeah, it's, not, it? true. it's, it's not true. It's actually not true. You have it's to comp- compulsory
0: voting once, once you've, you've registered.
1: registered, but you don't
0: have to register. vote that's right you don't have to vote well if you don't register you can't vote anyway and if you don't register you can't be caught out for not voting because you weren't registered to vote in the first place so
1: say because domestic violence came up first nations people came up particularly in remote communities homeless people came up and domestic violence came up because they said you, you might want to be protecting your identity but would you have registered to vote if you've then changed your identity
0: You'd have to re-register. You'd have
1: to re-register, wouldn't you?
0: As you do when you change your address. Oh, so we... think about homeless people. If you're homeless, and but you've got an ID that you could use to vote, you could still vote. Right. But if you're homeless and you haven't re-registered You're
1: not going your re- to be registered, are you? You wouldn't you're be registered. Because there's not going to be any address for That's you. That's right. So therefore...
0: Because they ask you when you come in, your name, and they ask for your for your address. address.
1: That's right. And then they tick that off. And That's I've right. always
0: thought you don't know that I'm me. So what if you're homeless, though?
1: Well, you're not going to be there.
0: Yes, you are, because you still got, you still could have your ID. So let's say you had Medicare or Centrelink or whatever st- stuff that you could not. No, have. Yeah, but yeah, are you going to be license.
1: registered? Is what my question. But you
0: could be. Well, you could still be registered. But the ID won't necessarily will determine who you are, not where you live. Whereas at the moment they're interested in where you live. Right. So do I live in the electorate, or do I not live in the yes, electorate? Yes. If I don't live in the electorate, I have to get a, a what do they call it, a um, absentee vote. Right. Yes. Um, but if I'm homeless, and I say that I'm living in Adelaide, for example. Because that was my
1: last address.
0: Well, I'm living under a bridge in Adelaide. What does it matter? I have my ID. And
1: they're registered. So they're still going to have to be registered. Well, they're still going to have
0: to be registered somewhere. Right. Or something. But I guess the ID... um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about it for the first time. Yes, curious. I can see some advantages for having an ID.
1: Yeah, I was just curious because this there certainly is a lot of backlash in the community and they are talking about voter where you suppression. see suppression. What's your source on that? That is across the media.
0: Is that on Twitter? Yeah. I'd rely on that. Or Facebook. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I didn't rely on Facebook is that which is becoming something else. Yeah, meta. Meta. Yes. You know, did you see that with the ABC symbol? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. funny, isn't yeah. it?